Hi, my name is Andrea, and I'm a compulsive overeater. And um, I want to thank Nancy for inviting me to lead today. It was actually like a god shot because it's a literature uh, speaking meeting, and my sponsor has been um, working on me to just read step one and write about step one in the OA uh, 12 and 12. Um, and I've been dragging my feet for a month, not because I don't want to, but I'm supposed to write about each paragraph that speaks to me. And the problem is every paragraph in this step one speaks to me. So I, you know, to get this call and say, okay, um, literature combination, I guess I'll get started in step one. And so just to qualify, I'm a hundred pounders, but I haven't gotten a hundred pounds off. I'm 80 pounds down from my top weight. And I've been abstaining from recreational sugar since June 1st of 2020, when I was literally struck abstinent, absolute miracle. And, um, just looking forward to continuing with my recovery. Um, so if I look in step one, this the first paragraph in step one summarizes my experience with compulsive overeating. And it's kind of a little bit of what we talked about in the um, invitation. In Overeaters Anonymous, we begin our program of recovery by admitting that we're powerless over food. Some of us have difficulty with this admission because we've had so much experience in trying to control our eating. At one time, where periodically most of us were able to do so, our eating may be out of control right now. We persisted in thinking, but someday soon we'll again muster the strength of character needed to check our eating excesses, and this time we'll keep them under control. For all of us, however, the days of controlled eating grew fewer and farther apart until at least last we came to OA looking for a new solution. Uh, that's it, right? Um, I come from a big family. There are eight of us and I was number seven of eight. My parents were depression, you know, uh, products of the depression era. So they took great, great pride in the fact that we never went without food. We, I was never restricted on what I could wanted to eat. And as a kid, we actually got to pick the foods we wanted or what foods would I pick as a kid? I would pick the cereals that had the most sugar. We, I drank soda whenever I want. I just had no restrictions, you know, and it wasn't, I think, I think that's just also how my mother showed love and support for our family. She wasn't a huggy, you know, kind of person, but as a result, um, independence and self-sufficiency were character traits that were re revered in our family. You know, I never wanted to admit that I needed help with something that I was out of control in anything I was doing. And that was just how I defined my childhood. Um, but I had feelings. I just learned very easy, early on, even if I wasn't aware of it, that food worked, especially sugar worked to suppress any feelings I had. I lived in the I think my life was governed by the three F's, I like to say, fear, food, and fantasy, right? Um, so I have fear of everything, fear of failure, fear of success, fear of intimacy, fear of just rejection, fear of feelings. And I learned early on that the food would help suppress those feelings. And then I would spend so much of my time fantasizing about the great life I was going to have once I lost the weight, right? And I would have elaborate fantasies about that. Um, when I I'm going to go fast because I've timed myself and 15 minutes goes so quickly. <laughs> but the next paragraph that stands out was the one that talks about the disease of compulsive eating is threefold in nature, physical, emotional, and spiritual. Compulsive eating does not stem simply from bad eating habits learned in childhood, nor just from adjustment problems, not, nor merely from a love of food. It later says, whatever the cause, today we are not like normal people when it comes to eating. I've known that most of my life, right? I, I live with my sister right now and she's a normie. And it's very interesting if she has something that happens to her 
that she, a uh, medical problem that she has that's related to a food that she's eating and she realizes it's, that's the food that's causing the problem, she stops eating that food. She doesn't eat gluten anymore. She doesn't eat dairy. She doesn't eat sugar. You know, she finds their inflammatory foods increasing her risk for diabetes. All of this makes sense, right? We know, I know this, it's not a knowledge issue, but do I stop eating those things? No, I can't. And that's the whole thing about what makes me a compulsive overeater as opposed to my sister who may indulge in something once in a while. So the next paragraph says like, Compulsive overeaters, normal eaters will sometimes find pleasure and escape from life's problems and excess food. Compulsive overeaters, however, often have an abnormal reaction when, in, when we overindulge. We can't quit. We can't quit. And I've seen firsthand the experience of diabetes in my family, you know, when people um, develop diabetes, how it just debilitated them. I've lost the two, two siblings now and a mother from complications related to diabetes. So I think my greatest fear of all the fears I have is the fear of contracting that disease. I do not want diabetes. And yet knowing that there are certain foods that I can eat and certain behaviors I can practice that can reduce that risk is just not enough. It's not a knowledge issue. Um, later on in the book, it says, um, what all of us have in common is that our bodies and minds seem to send us signals about food which are quite different from those the normal eater receives. We have found through much experience that no matter how long we abstain from eating compulsively and no matter how adept we become at facing life's problems, we will always have these abnormal tendencies. Those of us who have returned to our former compulsive eating behaviors even after years in recovery have found it harder than ever to stop. We were, later it says, we are obsessed with foods. No amount of self-control or weight loss could cure us. Because of this obsession, the day always came when the excess food looked so inviting to us, we couldn't resist and our firm resolutions were forgotten. Sooner or later, we always started overeating again and gradually or rapidly, the eating worsened until at last we were out of control. And this is where I talk about my food log, as they say. Um, and it's really that I, um, a complicated story because I've just been, I was, when I lost my sister recently, I had an opportunity to go back and look at some photos. And I just realized I've been overweight. I've known that way. I've been fat all of my life. You know, there was a period of time when I was in college because when I went off to college, right, right before I went off to college, it was so interesting. I was probably about 180 pounds. And um, that was the first time actually in my life that I thought, you know, I really want to do something about my weight because prior to that, I I don't know, I never thought that I would want to diet. I never dieted as a kid. I just didn't do that, you know. Um, but I wanted to do something about my weight. And so I was watching late night television. I saw this um, commercial about Overeaters Anonymous. I had no idea what it was, uh, that it was a kind of a spiritual program. But I went to a church meeting. It was in some basement someplace. I lived in Philadelphia at the time. And I heard these people chanting about God. And I said, oh, no, this is a cult. I've got to leave. <laughs> And I left and I didn't go back for another 20 years. Um, but, you know, when I did go off to college, I always loved to work out. You know, I was not the fat person who didn't like to work out. I always liked working out. And so I started jogging with a friend of mine in the morning and I got down to like 44, I lost 40 pounds, maybe 35 pounds in my freshman year of college. I went home for, <laughs> for a spring break 
uh, my mother, not spring break, but summer, I guess it was. And my mother's like, oh my gosh, she's anorexic. Is that so funny? I, and not to say anything about people who are anorexic, so that's just not my experience at all. But I had been working out. Along with that came more attention, more attention from guys specifically. And that scared me. You know, there goes the fear. And I always tell people that that period of time, that brief period during summer when I was down to 145, the smallest I've ever been as an adult, it seemed like it was a weekend. How small were you? About 145 for a weekend. And I started gaining weight again. And I would gain it in like stepwise increments, right? So I would gain gain some weight, then I would start working out again and plateau for a while until some stressor would come along and I would gain more weight. And then uh, I'd start working out again and the stressor would come along. So I kept increasing, increasing my weight until I was almost 300 pounds. This was like in 2000. And I thought to myself, oh, I've got to do something around that time, 2005. It's when um, Carney Wilson, she's a, a singer, um, got the gastric bypass surgery. And I thought this is what I wanted to do. I had signed up. We had, I wanted to get it done by the same surgeon who did hers, went down to uh, San Diego and, you know, was all signed up to have the surgery. But prior to that, that summer, I did the Lindora program. Prior to that, I'd also tried Weight Watchers and places like that. But I did this medically supervised program and I lost like maybe 50 pounds and I canceled the surgery. Uh, I started gaining that weight back made me very nervous and so panicked that I went to, uh, went back to OA, but it was a sister program that's much more um, um, restrictive on the foods that you eat with the plan. And I lost 90 pounds with that. And I had nine months of abstinence. And so um, this current abstinence now um, is equal to the longest I've ever been abstinent, absolute miracle. And I, way back then I was flying on a plane and the flight attendant gave me a cookie. And I've been on planes, I don't know how many times it was easy to say no thank you, but it wasn't even offered as an option. It was just put in front of me and I ate it. And I felt that panic coming in at that time that this was not a good sign, this was not good. But I tried to suppress that panic. And um, anyways, that started a relapse for me that lasted about 15 years, okay? And so fast forward to 2017, I, um, uh, developed diabetes. Now, the only other thing that I had the greatest fear for of surgery, of having surgery was diabetes. So when that happened, I decided oh, I'm having the, the bypass surgery. I had to go through the training. In November of 2017, I lost the weight. I mean, I had the surgery rather. I lost like 80 pounds within five month period. Yep, five like, more minutes. Oh my God. Okay. So in, um, it was like that dream you have as a child of, you know, waking up or even as an adult, you wake up one day and you'd be thin, you know, that's how it felt to me. And the reason it worked is because I could not physically eat sugar, you know, after the bypass surgery, I couldn't eat sugar until I found five months later, I could eat a little bit and then a little bit more and a little bit more. And so I always have known that even with the physical release of the weight, that it was never addressing the spiritual, um, aspect of it. And this goes on in the book that says, say this, um, this mental obsession was something we couldn't be rid of by our unaided human will. Another power stronger than ourselves had to be found to relieve us of it. If we were to stop eating compulsively and stay stopped. And I had not addressed that even with the previous abstinence and even with the bypass surgery, right? That's just physical recovery, but it has nothing to do with what's really going on and driving me to eat. So, um, in the last part of the book, it just talks about, um, on the last pages, it says that as long as we refuse to recognize that we have this debilitating and ultimately fatal disease, we are not motivated to get the daily treatment for 
it which brings about our recovery. Denial of the truth leads to destruction. Only an honest admission to ourselves of the reality of our condition can save us from our destructive eating. One, and later it finally says, once we have become teachable, we can give up old thought and behavior patterns which have failed us in the past, beginning with our attempts to control our eating and our weight. Honest appraisal of our experience has be convinced us that we can't handle life through self-will alone. First, we grasp this knowledge intellectually, and then finally, we come to believe in it in our hearts. So what happened, I was gaining the weight, gaining the weight. Um, I had gained first five pounds back, didn't panic because it was just five pounds, and then it was 10 pounds, and then it was 15 pounds and then it was 20 pounds, and then we had pandemic. And you know, my effort to kind of plateau it at that 20 pound weight gain went through the roof because I wasn't able to work out anymore going to the gym. Uh, that's when I came back to OA, that was in March of the 2020. And I worked with a sponsor and I could feel that I was drowning. I just couldn't stop eating the sugar. And I was drowning and I kept coming to the meetings, hearing people through Zoom talking about you, the steps and following the steps. And my sponsor was doing a very, you know, it's her way of sponsoring. This is how she got recovery. It was very slow. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that's great, but it's not fast enough. I need to, I'm drowning. I feel like I need to, to, to get my head above the water. I need to get to these steps. Everyone's talking about the steps for my recovery. So I kept looking for big book study meetings and um, telling my sponsor, okay, I want to do this meeting. And on June 1st, you know, I found this other meeting I wanted to go to or it's big book study. And she just said, Andriette, stop, you know, and just something clicked, something clicked that surrender. It was just me surrendering and recognizing I don't have this. I'm going to take direction and do what I'm told. And at that point I was struck abstinent and it's just an absolute miracle. So now I'm just following the directions of my sponsor. I read a I read a page a week from the big book, not a page a day, a page a week, because that's what my sponsor tells me. I could read more, so this is on me again. I, she, I can read more, but no more than a page a day and write on it. Not a front and back page, just one side of the page. And I write on that. I think I'm on page 40. It could be more, but then again, you know, this is my pace, but what's working this time for me is just my willingness to take direction. I don't have it, you know, I don't have the answers. If I had the answers, I wouldn't have gotten to over 300 pounds, right? I, I didn't want to, wouldn't have gotten to the diagnosis of diabetes, especially after I've seen what it had done in my own family and just, um, just how unmanageable everything had gotten into my life. So now where I am right now is where I'm supposed to be and I accept it. You know, of course, it's not going to be the kind of weight loss that I would methodically write down in my book and, you know, I would lose three pounds each week and for the next, you know, six or seven months and I'd reached a certain goal at this state. I don't know when it's going to happen. I only weigh myself once a month. That's another miracle right? that I don't get on the scale. I'm not directed by how much weight loss I have. I really am focusing on what I can do for my spiritual recovery. So I take directions with that. Every morning I get up, I do a um, morning meditation where I just, and that's something I'm struggling with, this stopping and breathing, you know, for just a minute. It's just a minute of meditation and breathing. This is where I try to hear the message of a higher power. And I love my definition of my higher power because my higher power loves me so much he can't take his eyes off me. I heard someone share that at a meeting once and I said, I'm adopting this for my higher power because that's what I want. And so there's no right or wrong way for me to do anything because I know my higher power is there. I just have to really work on relying on that higher power um, to get me through the tough times. Right now, it's not hard. Okay, and I'm done. It's not hard. I'm in the, and I, but I know it's not going to always be this pink cloud that people talk about. Food doesn't, chocolate doesn't talk to me at all. You know, it, 
there's a piece of ding dong and I'm closing up. There's a ding dong that belongs to my sister. It's not my food sitting in a refrigerator. It's been there for two weeks. Oh, I forgot about it until I moved something out of the way before we had a rule that if something was sitting on a chocolate cookie was sitting on the counter for more than 10 minutes, uh, it's fair game. I'm going to eat it and no one was going to be upset about it because that's just the rule of the house. And it's just to watch even these small miracles happen in this short time period. is just something that I have a lot of gratitude for. And I'm done. Thanks.